Yeah. Um, so this is being taped, right? You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I'm so pleased to have A. Van Jordan here in the studio. Welcome, Van. Hi. Good to be here. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming. Just You were coming from class, right? (laughs) I was, exactly. (laughs) They were none the wiser. (laughs) You didn't let them out early. You didn't know, or you didn't say, tune in to (laughs) (laughs) 88.3. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, come on, expand our listenership. But thanks for being here. Thank you. It's, it's good to see it's good you. To be <laughs> this has been in the works, I should say, for like years. Yeah, at least two years <laughs> exactly. now, right? At least easy. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I thought it was only right that you were the kickoff show for the year for us. Yes, okay, yes. so thanks for thank you for it's, coming. It's good to be here. <laughs> um, so today uh, we we're gonna be we have on the table um, uh, Van's books, Magnolia, and also Quantum lyrics um and we may i don't know if we think if we're lucky we Mm -hmm. might get to hear some from um your book coming out from norton in 2013 sinist yes so this will be exciting this day of poems with (laughs) avan jordan great thanks thanks (laughs) um and without further ado read read the short bio that will be in the back of the the new book coming out is it um february 2013? Uh, The pub date is actually April. Oh, April. Okay. Ooh. Um, That was, whew, that little, little, little (laughs) electricity to... Yeah, no, just just remind us of the date, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Roll on April. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we don't have, like, shock treatment here at WCBN for many other things, right? (laughs) But we will do it for poetry. Thank you. Um, And so here, here is the bio. A. Van Jordan is the author of Rise, which won the Penn Oakland Josephine Miles Award, Tia Chucha Press, Magnolia. I wonder, should I spell that actually? Like, what do you do with that book title? If You know, it's, it's written as if it were spelled out M-A-C-N-O-L-I-A, but I never do that. I you always don't? just okay. say Magnolia. Because so, yeah. that would, M-A, that would do. I know, I know, I know. 
but I love the visual of yeah, it. Yeah, well, thank so you for asking, good. though, because no one, no one ever asks that about that. No, hopefully I'll have some more questions that you haven't heard okay. <laughs> Um Let's see. Which was awarded an Ennisfield Wolf Book Award and listed as one of the best books of 2005 by the London Times, TLS. And Quantum Lyrics, also by Norton, with Norton. Jordan was also awarded a Whiting Writers Award and a Pushcart Prize. He is a recipient of a John Simon Guggenheim Fellowship and a United States Artists Williams Fellowship. He is a professor in the Department of English at the University of Michigan, Go Blue, and teaches in the MFA program for writers at Warren Wilson College. Bicinist, his fourth book, is forthcoming from W.W. W. Norton and Company in 2013, April. There you go. So you, you are incredibly busy, too, because if you're also teaching at Warren Wilson. Yeah, you know, you... I'm, I'm on the board uh, for the Friends of Writers at Warren Wilson. So I hadn't been there in, in years, but I, I went this summer uh, for the first time in, in about six or seven years. Because so. that's where you got your MFA. That's right, oh, yeah. Oh, and then, and were you were you teaching, or was it more of a, to, as a board member to try no, to make sure. No, I was sure. teaching as well. Um, I, I just got on the board, and um, but it's you know Warren Wilson is a uh, you know it's a very important part of my development as a writer. Uh, you know, so I I found out about it when I went to uh, Breadloaf um, back in '95, uh, and I was in a workshop with this uh, great poet uh, Alberto Rios. You know, and, yeah, and published by Copper Canyon that's Press. Right, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, you know, so, and the, the fellow in the workshop, believe it or not, this is how long ago this was, the fellow, um, you know, I don't know if you guys know, like, the, the bread loaf, the, the structures that you have, like, these different um, roles that you play. Um, and so, uh, you know, some people are waiters, some people are scholars. Um, you know, I, I, I did the audio visual stuff there for a while in the little theater. Oh, um, so you're feeling right at home I'm, here. I'm right at home here with this <laughs> mic in my face, you know. Um, and, and, and there are also um, people who are early in their careers. They'll, they'll be like um, the, you know, the, the TA in the, in the workshop. Um, and so um, the, the fellow uh, in, the, in Alberto's workshop was Martha Rhodes. Who is now the you know founder and publisher of Four Way Books and has yes. published many books, uh, and you know. She, yeah, and she's visited. She's been here. Yeah, she's in been the here series a number and, of times. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's the person who actually turned me on to Warren Wilson when I was a student in the in the workshop. And she says, you know, like this is where I went. You know, she was telling me about what her experience was like in that program. And because is it is it low residency too, Van? So yes, it can fit into yeah. what also you're doing yeah. as a as a person in the world right as well you know as... so the year i went in um, i was a journalist i was working in dc as an environmental journalist and because you got a master's in communications right yeah. from howard yeah exactly. so that's yeah, this yeah, okay yeah, yeah and yeah. then you moved to dc after graduation i moved to dc um after um graduation from undergrad i, I came to dc to go to howard and i just oh, stayed there and then you stayed okay yeah, i was there for okay. like 12 years and um and and so uh while i was there i, while I was you know, working for Bloomberg BNA, I, I was um, uh, going to Warren Wilson as well. But my classmates, I mean, I had classmates who were, you know, like doctors, lawyers, college professors, housewives. Um, this one guy was, uh, he was living in Japan and he was coming every, you know, twice a year to to Swannanoa Valley in North Carolina. Wow, it sounds like a magical place, it's, actually. It's, it's beautiful. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, so you you were always so you were living in D.C. while you were going exactly. to this valley exactly. for a while. And yeah. huh? And what happened? So when I was reading about you, Van, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I saw I know the glint in the eye. This right is not live. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No problem. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the studio. Exactly. <laughs> Hello out there in Harbor and beyond. Um, well. It said that in your like when you were in DC and, and you were in your late twenties, yeah. you was started going to poetry readings. Yeah. And yeah. and you sort of had and it's almost as if that's this moment where something was clicking with because you were already yeah. a writer. That yeah, was how you yeah. were making your um like ends meet, right? Right, right. And w- so is that what made you also go to then Breadloaf and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. You know, it was it was uh, kind of a strange time. I mean, you know, I was telling a friend of mine, um, uh, just a friend of mine the other day. I was telling him that, um, you, you know, when you um, when you're approaching your 30s as a as a guy, it's almost like going through adolescence again because there's this great change that's going on inside you. Like you're feeling like, okay, I gotta get it together. And you know, at that moment, you know, going into my, you know, right at the end of my 20s, going to my 30s. Um, my dad retired from um, Goodyear Tire and Rubber, and he worked in the plant. Was that in Akron, in Ohio? Akron, in Akron, Ohio, yeah. Okay. Where so, you grew up. Yep, that's where I grew up. Born and raised. Yep. <laughs> Me, LeBron James, Rita Dove, Jim Jarmusch. <gasps> wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Black Keys. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a group, plug, what a group. Yeah, plug those. Yeah, those, exactly. Those guys. Oh. So, yeah, we should use yeah. them. So, anyway, so... Um, so he retired after 50 years in the plant. He started working at Goodyear when he was 16. They found out how old he was. They let him go. He worked at a couple other plants. Came back when he was 18. And then he retired when he was 68. So my dad was a very active guy. He would pull double shifts like like nobody's business. Like it was just like, a, you know, 16 hours is a regular work day. You know what I mean? And um, when he retired, um, I realized that this this guy had spent his entire life working, and so you know, I, I, the the thing about my family is that I come from you know a working class community and a, and a working class family, and you know the culture of work is is a big part of it. Yes, but the culture of play was never a part of it. Oh. and so in my mind, I was thinking when I saw my dad retire and just how, you know. Um, you know, static his life had become. What year did he retire in his, like, what year was it? He was it? 68. And what, because um, what I'm wondering is, because with Quantum Lyrics, this yeah, is dedicated yeah. to your father, is it? Yeah, yeah. So he, he retired when he was 68. He died when he was 77. So it was like three years later, I mean, seven years later. I'm yeah. sorry, seven years later. I'm a poet. Nine years later, he, he died, yeah. And so, um, you know, so for me it was... Um, you know, a time period for me to start thinking about, like, you know, there's got to be something else other than work. And at the same time, I also felt like I was kind of, um, you know, I was in a, had a great job. Bloomberg BNA was a great place to work. Um, I had a, um, just gotten, just got a promotion to this job as, a, as an editor 
Um, and it's like the position I've been, you know, vying for for a couple of years. I, you know, so I finally got this. this that position. seems the definition of success, then. Yeah, it and was. I, mean, I, felt, in... I felt great. I was in D.C. I was young. Yeah. I had a, a nice condo, a nice car. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, we were. This is the American dream. Yeah, exactly. You know, we would hang out after work and go to happy hours and do all the stuff that you do in, in a city like D.C. Um, and I was, I was completely bored. You know, and I because something I, felt something like just it was... wasn't quite. There and I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe I need a, a hobby. And at the time, I was, <laughs> I you know, that. at the time I was really um, into running, and I was in DC Road Runners Club, and and so that was my thing. I was, you know, I'd spend time after work, um, weekends, running races and stuff. <sighs> and well, that's a release. It was a really? huge release, and I, I thought it was great. But I also realized, you know, I couldn't do this the rest of my life. Uh, this is not the the hobby I'm going to have. <laughs> you know, into retirement. And I thought, what can I do, you know, when I'm on a walker, you know, and, and, and this is <laughs> poetry, poetry. There you go. You know, so, um, good for any, any life moment. You know, as Neruda said, it found me, you know, yes. so, uh, Neruda. <laughs> exactly. you know, and so to everything uh, it's time. That's right. That's right. And so there, there I was. And, um, you know, the, the other part of it was that, um, I would, uh, you know, ride the train, ride the bus, and read. And uh, the commutes in D.C. or, you know, most major cities, you know, the commute is pretty long. Mm. So I'd spend, you know, an hour um, often, sometimes, you know, a couple of hours on a train or a bus or waiting or something mm. uh, just in public transportation. And, um, you know, I would, you know, start, you know, picking up books that I had in a trunk in my place from when I was an undergrad. So books that I read but hadn't, you know, spent the kind of time with them that I could spend at this time because I didn't have a deadline for a paper to write or something mm-hmm. like that. So I was just sort of, you know, I'd say, well, you know, maybe I'll, I, I will, I'll read um, The Odyssey alongside uh, Derek Walcott's uh, Ameros and and see, you know, if there's, you know, where where the connections are. Yeah. You know, and so, um, and then I had friends, like, you know, I started getting into the the the, the poetry scene there, and, you know, the, the thing well, about the thing about, go ahead. Oh, the thing about the open mics in D.C. is that that culture is very different from any other city I lived in that had like House. an open mic yeah. community. It's, it, the thing about it was that it was it was so literary. You know, so it was performative, hmm. but people were really serious readers. So, um, you know, it would be nothing to be at a, at a reading and have someone, you know, you know, reference, um, um, you know, uh, much more academic poet in their in their reading and then talk about that and then have oh. a poem in response to. You know, Philip Levine, or, right? Or you know, so like an after, yeah, Philip yeah, Levine. yeah, Cause, yeah. Because you've got one of those in here too. I yeah, think. I've like got, these, yeah, I've got, these after, yeah, I could yeah. do almost any of my poems after someone. I mean, <laughs> they're they're always an influence. <laughs> these connections, somewhere. yeah, yeah always these connections, get, yeah. you know. And so that was a part of the tradition there that you would read a poem and you would talk about. Well, this this you know, I read I was reading Lucille Clifton the other day, and this is the poem that came to me. And you know, people come up to the mic and, and talk in this way, and you start writing these names down. So you've got a reading list, basically, reading list, of this, and you of have people you liked and you a, liked their work yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, and a community in which you could have a conversation about it. You know, and so that was the thing that was really great. And so, 
Um, and they started doing these community workshops and, you know, it was a whole, it was a whole um, culture around poetry. And you could go any night of the week, literally, to a different venue. Were they coffee shops? Were they coffee bars? Coffee shops, uh, uh, galleries. Uh, there was a restaurant on 14th Street called Mango's. Coffee shop was It's Your Mug. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a gay lesbian reading um, uh, series uh, on U Street. Uh, it was just like, you know, uh, Republic Gardens had a reading series. It was like every place in the city, there was a, a new reading series. And it had a night. And it had a, so, it's night. And, and it was knew. a community. So no one like overlapped Everyone, really. Like, well, I, well, people, oh, they, the people did, but they did It didn't. was a movable feast. We, yes, were, we would show up in different places <laughs> any night of the week. And, you know, and, and, you know, and some nights you wouldn't read. You'd just be there to, you know, be a consumer of it, you know, right. and listen. And, um, but, you know, I started making friends with people. You know, and initially I wasn't reading anything. I was just going to listen to their work. Right, right. You know, and be a part of this and be a reader. Well, something felt that was the thing that was yeah. missing was starting yeah. to be filled or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so these these poets were who, you know, I became friends with, they started encouraging me, like, Man, you know, I know you got a poem in that bag. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta get to the mic and you gotta read something, man, you know. And so, um, so what did you read? What happened? How I, did you, you know? So one night at It's Your Mug, uh, a poet, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Joel Diaz Porter, uh, also known as DJ Renegade, uh, came up and he said, "Look, man, you know, I, you know, you got to bring a poem next week." You know, and and he's a big dude, so I did. And so I, I came in and I you know I had a couple of poems and I read them. Uh, this poet in Chicago, Tony Asante Lightfoot, was the um, uh, MC of this reading series, and um, you know, so I went up and I read two, you know, bad love poems. Um, but it was it was one of these things that um, you know I'm reading, and you know, you're in a in a in a office as a journalist mm. with systems furniture around you in these little cubicles, and you're talking all day, but it's mostly platitudes and cliches about you know, something in the news or some story that we're all like sort of buzzing around or, you know, the, you know, the game last night or something, but you're not really, you're not really having a conversation about anything. And so when I got to the mic and actually started reading the poem, the thing that blew me away was how quiet the room got, you know, like you could hear literally people's ice in their drinks and people listening. And another the thing that was so, um, strange to me and new to me at, the, at that time was that, um, you know, I've been in my, you know, place writing and you're, you're writing these poems and you're, and you're thinking through these issues line by line, but you are in your own head. So you don't hear anyone laugh at the end of a line or someone gasp at the end of a line, mm. you know, but you're in the, you know, so you're in a, in a, a situation when you're on the, um, at the microphone in a, in a, in a, you know, a space where people have gathered to hear it, it's very different. And I did not anticipate that. And that was the biggest surprise to me when I read was hearing how closely people were listening and how much they were giving me back. And it was, I was hooked, you know, um, you know, it was just, I, you know, that was, it was a, a great way to have a conversation with the community around me in a way that I never thought was possible before and so it just opened up this whole other world to me and poetry is conversation yeah absolutely absolutely i love that 
That's yeah. a wonderful story, Van, because yeah. sometimes you, with poems too, sometimes you think that they are these, sometimes these interior worlds, but the reason you're yeah. writing them is to reach yeah. out. Yeah. But the, the whole idea even of um, going to these, these readings or coffee shops, that makes so, that almost makes even more sense to me than sending them out to journals right, or right. magazines or... Yeah. Because that sort of stops the conversation, like the conversation yeah. never yeah. gets started sometimes or, yeah. um, but this seems like the, like the exchange or the electricity you're talking mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. at this, this place when you were, you were hooked. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you know, when I, when I think about, um, you know, someone like Lorca, you know, talking about the Duende and trying to capture the spirit of a performance, you know, in this case, it was, you know, Spanish guitar and dance. And, you know, he's trying to go back and like, how do I capture that on the page? And I think there is some of that when we have, um, readings at the, you know, particularly at the right venue, you know, but, um, you know, I, I, I was just recently, I was in, um, in New York and I, and I did a reading in Central Park and it was so nice to hear people clap in between each poem, you know? And this was like, you know, it was three of us reading and I was the, the second poet who read and, and people just, they did not get tired. They just kept clapping in between each poem. But that also makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, it's not this, this strange, everyone must be quiet. I know. Not I that know. good silence yeah, with yeah, the, yeah, I, like yeah. the ice clicking or so. Yeah, it's, a very, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, not that I have no problem being at a, at a reading and, and other venues where, where people are listening closely and, mm. and just taking it in and, and sort of um, holding on to it. Um, but it was it was it was great to feel that energy mm. coming back um, from the audience in that way, um, it, which caught me completely by surprise as well. Um, Again, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that's also something about this this thing that is clearly not a hobby that you're doing. Now. Yeah, it's exactly. like a vocation and a yeah. calling and something meant to be, right? Yeah, that yeah. you that, that you are continually surprised. By it in ways. I, I am. I am. Yeah. I still am. And you know, I remember, um, you know, the first time I remember uh, hearing um, Cornelius Eadie read um, at the Folger Shakespeare Theater um, in D.C. Um, this was around that same time, around like you know, mid '90s or so. And uh, he got up and read this beautiful Ars Poetica of a poem uh, called Gratitude. And this poem. You know, it just sprawls with scenes after scene after scene after scene. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you know his work, but he's a pretty short line poet. But these, you know, even in this poem, the lines are even longer in mm. it, you know, and they kind of move around the, you know, on the page. And so, um, but you felt that, like when he was reading it, like you could feel the structure of this poem as he was reading this, this thing at the Folger. And... Um, and the, the space between the words, or this, the... This, just the way in which you would go from one scene to the next. So it was sort of a montage oh, okay. of scenes from his life. And the thing about Cornelius is that he is, um, you know, he's an African American male. Uh, he grew up in Rochester, New York, which is not that different from Akron, Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and he's exactly ten years older than me. And so. Um, this, these scenes were so similar to moments in my own life. 
and it just like blew me away. Like you know, and at the time, this is when I was still on the fence. I was I still had a day job, right. and thought that that's what I was going to do was um, was continue, you know, with the day job. But and go to the, the at night out and with the go out at night and, and read and, and and you know have this community of friends and stuff. But when he started reading, I got really emotional because it was the first time I I heard. Um, scenes from my life that I thought, you know, you know, weren't really worthy of poetry rendered in a poem. And it really affected me in a way that I had, you know, never been affected by, you know, a piece of art before. And, um, you know, so that was for me, like kind of a demarcation line. Um, and it was kind of like, um, you know, what, what Miro Rukeyser calls a, you know, the total response. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I had this, this complete, response on an emotional, um, like visceral, psychological level that just changed me. Um, and, and then I decided... So that was the calling. That, that was it. <laughs> that was you know, really, it really was, I mean, I, I'm lucky to, to be able to, to, you know, note it in that way, you know, but it's, it, was, it was really an important moment for me. And then, then I imagine you were not going to be dissuaded. You were going to be... You're stubborn and you are going yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's when I started pursuing the, the MFA a bit more seriously, thinking about, you know, going to uh, Warren Wilson and, and you know, the, the possibilities of getting an MFA and um, doing other workshops. I was, you know, started going around the country. You know, I was chasing um, Cornelius for one thing. Like oh, I, really? Every time yes. he caught someplace, I was showing up there and, and uh, you know, with the poem in my hand, you know. And, and was he like, "Hi, Van"? <laughs> again, yeah, you know, you know. Hello. Yeah, yeah, in his sweet way, but yeah, um, you know, it's funny. But, but it was. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's funny because I think about that now. Like whenever I'm traveling somewhere and teaching, and I see people who've been at another workshop and they've come to another workshop, and you know, I think, huh. oh, I know the journey you're on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, that is lovely. Yeah, that is it lovely. Is. Okay, I'll tell you what. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back. And would you read some poems for us, Absolutely. Van? Absolutely. Um, today in the studio, um, we've got A. Van Jordan here. Um, we've got Magnolia. We've got Quantum Lyrics and the Cineist. Um, I'm T. Hetzel, and we'll, we'll be right back. You're, you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We'll be back. Till 
If you're just tuning in, you've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so pleased to have A. Van Jordan here in the studio. Um, and we we were, yeah, this, I've been so enjoying the conversation, Van, I've got to say. Thank you. <laughs> but now I think it's time to read some, 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 sure, I think we should hear sure. some poems so that, sure, uh, sure, yeah, sure. so that the people who have been waiting to hear the poems will then say, ah, at last. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think you asked about um, Case Rossera. Um, I did. I but I I also trying to restrain requests <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, and this one. Okay. So you're you're actually right now looking through quantum quantum lyrics, mm-hmm. and and this is this was um, this was the book that you dedicated to your father. So it's yeah. a yeah. So my dad was dying um, while I was writing this book and um, ultimately passed before I finished it. And so um, I had um, actually sent the book to um, my editor, who was also in the hospital and turned out she was on her deathbed, um, um, Carol Hawk Smith. Oh, um, isn't that... An- this was, yeah, this was her last last book I worked with with, with her. Uh. And so, um, and so while I was writing the book, you know, the book is, you know, a big part of the book is, um, you know, on the surface is about physics and DC Comics superheroes and <laughs> thing, you know, all these other things. But it's really the, the, the real uh, issue that's wrestling with is uh, male vulnerability and, and trying to get to the heart of, 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 of wrestling through that vulnerability. And so <clears throat> a lot of the poems are, Either, um, you know, they, you know, some of the more personal poems are about my relationship with my father or about um, my childhood or, you know, some some other like scene from my life. And so Quesera Sera is, is one of these, um, you know, one of these scenes. And the music is is the music, you know, from my childhood. You know, it's, it's like, you know, Sly in the Family Stone. Yeah. And that Fresh album was the, the album that was playing, playing in my house all the time as a kid. <laughs> 
I had two older brothers, and they were oh, like completely into oh. it, you know. Um, I love how you say you got it like three years later, though. Exactly. Like it came out in 73, but you got it in 76. <laughs> exactly. You know, I was like catching up to my older brothers. Yeah. But, yeah. It got it in a different way. Exactly. And then it got you in this yeah. moment that yeah. you write about. Yeah. That's what's also this. So, um, you're ranging through time here, and it's this m- montage of moments. Yeah, yeah, We're in your exactly, interior exactly. world. We're in the physical presence with you as you drive down a road. Yeah. Then yeah. we're flashback to your childhood. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. this one. So m- yeah. yeah. I must feel like Dr. Seuss as I'm saying, oh, the places you've gone in this <laughs> <Exactly>. poem. <laughs> um, so. So we t- we talked about Warren Wilson College before, and I was at Warren Wilson College um, on a postgraduate fellowship, uh, and that's what brought me back to uh, the Asheville, Black Mountain, Swannanoa Valley area. Um, and so there's a road in um, North Carolina in, in Asheville called Tunnel Road, and so Tunnel Road separates. Um, you know, Asheville, you know, the city mm-hmm. from Swannanoa Valley. And then from Swannanoa Valley, you go into Black Mountain. Mm-hmm. And I lived in Black Mountain and the college was in Swannanoa. So I, you know, I traveled Tunnel Road like every day, like, you know, three or four times a day. Cause that was the way, you know, that's the, the quickest way to get between these three and you, little towns. And it wasn't, there weren't tunnels involved, right? They weren't going through mountains, were you? Or Well, or there is a or, tunnel. There's, oh, there's a tunnel oh. at the end of Tunnel Road that like, <laughs> right before you get into downtown Asheville, you go through the tunnel, which is, um, yes, part of a, going through a mountain. So hence the name, I guess. Yeah, yes. yeah okay. exactly, exactly, exactly. So, so anyway, this is... Um, this is, you know, from um, one of those days. This is uh, K. Sarah Sarah. In my car driving through Black Mountain, North Carolina, I listen to what sounds like Doris Day shooting heroin inside Sly Stone's throat. One would think that she fights to get out, but she wants to stay free in this skin. Fresh, the Family Stone's album, came out in 73, but I didn't make sense of it till 76. Sixth grade for me the bicentennial. I got my first kiss that year. I beat up the class bully. I was the man. But for now, in my head, it's only 73, and I'm a little boy again, listening to Sly and his family covering Doris, listening to Sly and his family covering Doris's hit, driving down I-40. A cop pulls me over to ask why I'm here in his town with my Yankee tags. I let him ask a series of questions about what kind of work I do, what brings me to town. You know, the kind of questions that tell you this has nothing to do with driving a car. My hands want to ball into fists, but instead I tell myself to write a letter to the chief of police to give him something to laugh at over his morning paper. As I try to recall the light in Doris Day's version of K. Sarah Sarah, without the well troubling the notes in the duet of Sly and Cynthia's voices. Hemingway meant to define courage by the nonchalance you exude while taking cover within your flesh, even at the risk of losing what some would call a melody. I call it the sound of home, like when a song gets so far out on a solo you almost don't recognize it. But then you get back to the hook. You suddenly recognize the tune, and before you know it, you're putting your hands together. You're on your feet because you recognize a sound like a light leading you back to a color. Rust. You must remember rust. Not too red, not too orange, 
not fire or overnight change, but a simmering summer change in which children play till they tire and grown folks sit till they grow edgy or neighborhood dogs bite those not from your neighborhood. And someone with some sense says, down, boy. Or you hope someone has some sense who's outside or who owns the dog. And then the sky turns rust and the streetlights buzz on. And someone's mother, must be yours, says, you see those streetlights on, don't you? And then everybody else's mother comes out and says the same thing. And the sky is so rust, you know you got about 10 minutes before she comes back out and embarrasses you in front of your friends. 10 minutes to get home before you eat and watch the Flip Wilson show or Sanford and Son. And it's time for bed. And it's rust you, rem- you need to remember when the cop asks, what kind of work you do? It's rust you need to remember, the smell of summer rain on the sidewalk and the patina on wrought iron railings on your front porch with rust patches on them, and the smell of fresh mowed grass and gasoline and sweat of your childhood as he takes a step back when you tell him you're a poet teaching English down the road at the college, when he takes a step back to assure you now that this has nothing to do with race, but the rust of a community he believes he keeps safe. And he says, have a good one meaning day, as he swaggers back to his car. And the color of the day and the face behind, sunglasses and the hands on his hips, you'll always remember come back gunmetal gray for the rest of this rusty afternoon. So you roll up the window and turn the music back on and try to remember the rust caught in Sly's throat when the song came out in 73, although I didn't get it till 76 sixth grade for me, the bicentennial. I got my first kiss that year. I beat up the class bully. I was the man. Thanks, Van. Thank Thanks, you. Thank you. I You're still the man. Time. <laughs> Thanks. In the good way. I need to hear that. You know? <laughs> Um, but that poem, thanks for reading that because mm-hmm. it has been so. And it, you said it's been a long time since you've you've yeah, read it. I haven't it. read that in a long time. Yeah. What's yeah. it like reading that in, now? now? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's great. I mean, you know, it's um, you know, it's one of those things like you know, I read a poem, uh, you know, that I've read, uh, you know, that I've written, and that I haven't read in a long time, and I and I think, hmm, like sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I don't like it as much as I thought. Or and then other times I feel like, oh, wow, that was better than I thought, you know, than I remember it being. And, you know, that one still feels good, you know, so, yeah. Well, there's, it's it's kind of, I see what you mean about the, um, also the the vulnerability, too, yeah, in this yeah, poem yeah. And, and in this this book, especially. It's yeah. it's coming at different moments. Not, because when you're a child, that's when you're meant to be vulnerable, but that's mm. a triumphant moment in this yeah, poem, yeah, right? Yeah. The bicentennial, <laughs> the beat <laughs> of the class fully first, yeah. you know, all these things, yeah, right? Yeah. And then, and then there's this, the, then all, like how dealing, like navigating, dealing with the people, yeah, racism, yeah, all, yeah. and and then this beautiful way about talking about color mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. looking for light and Doris Day's voice, yeah, and yeah. then have a good one, meaning day. There's like there's so many levels of how the language is working and yeah. and playing or or um more seriously than that, colliding with each other. Yeah, yeah, and that was the thing about it is that you know the sort of um, you know um, you, you know the, the you know I referenced that that. The thing that Hemingway talks about, is, you know, as yes. far as, you know, you know, being cool under pressure or whatever. And Hemingway, yeah. the manly man. Yeah, you know, and you see how that, so, that worked out for him. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. So, but you know, the thing about it is that you know, you uh, the the real issue is how, 
like you know it's not just that you're you're gonna be you know you don't just say I'm gonna be a man and and, and deal with it it's it's more about like what mechanism you know uh, are you gonna like you know go to to um, make this happen for you and 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 part of it is is thinking about you know, like you do have a community, you do have family, you know, that you, you are a part of a, a, a larger, it's not just you in the world, you're a part of a, a larger story than that. And um, trying to tap back into that story is the thing that, that keeps you, um, you know, keeps your head at a moment like that when you're, you know, in a town that you don't know and you're being pulled over by a cop and you know it's racial profiling. Wrongly, yeah. yeah. exactly, you know, so. Yeah. yeah, these things that really are, like they they sometimes chip away at us and then sometimes there's a sledgehammer too yeah, yeah. but this connection you're talking about is what kind of can make the whole return right, right in some right. ways yeah and that's yeah. what it seems like po- poems are for you in a way like this is your way of not writing yeah. the letter to the yeah, exactly. <laughs> chief of police but yeah. writing a much bigger letter yeah to, yeah. The, to yeah. The, the world yeah yeah with a poem yeah, I mean that's um, you know for me it's a kind of an ongoing process though. I mean it's kind of um, you know I, you know I've just finished talking about uh, in the class about how um, you know the the big tradition in, in poetry is the you know the chronicle the the culture and history of a people, and we 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 normally think about that being you know the job strictly of the historian or the documentarian in film. Um, but in the old days, it was the poet. It's the poet, exactly. You know, the old, the ancient yeah. days. I yeah. Should well, say. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, I think Virgil would say it was the old days. You know, and so you know, like when I think about that stuff, it's like um, now, uh, you know, we, we talk about um, what the poem can do in the 21st century, and the thing that <clears throat> that I I find is that. I, I feel like we're becoming increasingly more anesthetized to uh, the visual that we mm. we we value it still and we're still um, we're still stimulated by it but at the same but the time, abundance but the abundance so. of it you know is uh, it's numbing the effect of it's numbing and so um, the when the poem comes in you know it's a very different experience than um, than you know than watching the video on YouTube about it you know it's it's um, you you engage in a very different way the the imagination right and in your yeah. your your mind's eye exactly or so and that that comes I feel like I was really interested in reading that your essay in the Cortland Review um, the synchronicity of scenes oh yeah yeah where, where you're talking about even your your students in the classroom sure when you read them a poem <laughs> yeah. and they and that you've loved, like you describe in this essay, yeah, yeah, it yeah. sort of broke your heart when you read it on your yeah, couch earlier yeah, in the yeah. day, and you're like, "I've got to read it to them." Yeah, <laughs> that can be dangerous, right. as you, you know, as I you know. say yeah, in here, yeah, yeah, when yeah. when they don't maybe they don't connect with it, they don't when they don't get it, or um, and you said yeah. they say they move. Well, go ahead. We'll, yeah. Well the, well, the thing that happens is that they they you know often um, you know often you know like weekly I I go in the classroom and I'll read a poem and I can tell like the students are engaged with it. I mean, they love it, but every now and then there's something that, that I'm moved by um, that they are not moved by, and um, I think some, you know, a part of that process is, um, you know, my engagement with the art form. Like I, I engage poetry every day, mm. and many of them don't. 
and I think our visual. So you're open and ready too. I'm open and ready the... to it, and I realize that our visual IQs are much higher than our um, our, our 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 poetic IQs. Right. You know, like you know, we don't we don't have that same level of um, of uh, acuity when it comes to um, reading a poem. Also, often and and even more so when it comes to um, uh, reckoning with uh, a metaphor. And so when we're, when we're talking about it um, in the classroom, it's, it's, it's very different. Um, you know, I, I think the, the important thing is contextualizing the poem. And I think once we're contextualized and once we're, 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 we understand that, then, you know, the lights come on. And and you you connected it to film like long shots and short shots, like this this yeah. this language of film and yeah, the language of yeah. poem just sort of translating it more than anything. Let's we'll talk more about that. We'll take a yeah, short break and then sure. we'll come back. This is flying by. You've got living writers today. Avan Jordan is here. Um, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Oh, and thanks to Reverend Andrew and Nelson for engineering today. Couldn't do it without you. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> living writers i'm so glad you're listening today and thanks to reverend andrew that was a great um time to kind of leave us here for the the last 
quarter of our conversation with yeah. Avan Jordan. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having Thank me. It's, just been, it's been great. And you're coming back. We've already agreed upon it, right? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so Van... I, I also was, I was so curious when I read that one line about, oh, in his 20s, the poems and, you know, this moment. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like when I was also, was, maybe it was even in the essay mm-hmm. um, where you said, no, it was in a, one, of, one of the poems. It was in a poem where I think um, a teacher, when, when you were young, um, said, you know, you were raising your hand to answer mm-hmm. questions about, po- no, it's in the essay, <laughs> about yeah, poems. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the, the teacher said no. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the um, that was kind of the answer I always got when I responded to a poem when I was a kid. It was like I always had the wrong sort of interpretation of the poem, and so the idea of being a poet was so far away from from you know my mind. I just never thought that was that was in my future at all. Well, because there'd be someone say no, exactly, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so, do you think it's that um, with poems? Because like, you, so how lucky that it changed then? Yeah, because yeah. and maybe your inter- interpretations weren't so wrong back then. But well, maybe I mean, now I know they were one you know? way of thinking. This is the only way to read this poem. Yeah, and that, or, and, that, and that's the that's the the danger of it is that um, you know um, the, the 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 issue with the poem. The reason it's a it's a different kind. It takes a different different kind of intelligence to engage the poem. Is that you're not solving for x it's like you're you're looking at how many how many truths are are at play here mm-hmm. and we're trying to figure out you know does this thing complement this other thing does this thing oppose this other thing mm-hmm. you know and 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 what and what does it make like what is this that we're we're looking at um and so we're we're constantly trying to you know suss out what's what's at play in the in the poem um, and I don't think that um, there aren't very many other um, endeavors we could, you know, you know, engage in that would allow for that. And I think that's the thing that's hard for people is to allow yourself the permission to engage in this way and, and say, you know, it's not just one answer. It's not just this one thing. It's, there are a couple of things that we can we can look at that we can talk about. Um, we can, you know, argue about, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. you know, so, um, and I think that's the, the that's one of the things that I, I love about the work. And, and now when you're, well, because what I'm thinking is I'm trying to problem solve, like, how can we not have these no's happen to, to yeah. young people? And I think it's a lot to ask maybe, um, also, I, I understand you can't like, but teachers already carry heavy burdens, and yeah. maybe poems weren't your thing. Like maybe someone told you no at some yeah, point, so you exactly. were like, now I have to teach these poems. You yeah, know, so there's yeah. all sorts of reasons. Yeah. But it's strange to know that poems can be really. People go to them for when times of celebration, in times of grief, yeah. in times where to see that they're see themselves in a in a moment worthy of illuminate being illuminated in a poem and yeah, a lyric. Yeah, like yeah. what happened to you in the the folger stadium or yeah, yeah. or, or the uh, folger theater, theater <laughs> yeah, suddenly, yeah, yeah. it was like yeah, a yeah, much yeah. More, in my mind it was a stadium was a right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
<laughs> oh, I was but, conveying. But there was there was no Madonna halftime show exactly though. Exactly right. No, yeah. no, 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 I missed that. <laughs> Luckily, maybe no, no offense, Madonna, if you're yeah, listening. Yeah. Anyway, but um, but back to your poems. In fact, um, you work in such interesting. You use structure so much. We could have talked from the top of the show about your use of, of structure and form and the way yeah. how you it really. Um, so so but you also you work with film as this and and even in this essay that we had yeah, mentioned yeah. earlier so the so the thing is you know what i what i constantly find myself doing is trying to make that sort of um visual iq translation to yes. the page and thinking about different ways um uh we're engaging with with film and the thing about about film today is that there's a cut every for most most films most feature films most television shows there's a cut every two or three seconds so are we conditioned then we're to conditioned to, to seeing that sort of um, shifting of imagery over and over and over again and not really holding on anything and um, and the, the thing I wrestled with um, you know, when, you know, what would bring in, you know, a certain, like, you know, a poet like um, someone like Linda Hall, who who has, you know, all these, all this movement, all this sort of, you know, um, you know, it would, it would be like nonlinear editing, you know, uh, if, if her poems were, were shot, you know, uh, you'd have that kind of fast, um, fast cut. Um, jumps. Jumps. Yeah. yeah all those, the, all those connections. Um but how do you hold that? How do you how do you do that in in a Linda Hall poem or Yusuf Komayaka poem or you yeah. know these different writers who 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 write particularly lyric poets who write and move in that in that way? How do you um, address that and translate that to someone who understands it more visually? And you know I I, I start telling them, look, you know this is a this is a visual um, art form. It's a visual medium. You know we have to start thinking about the images and where they where they are, the scenes that are being built inside mm -hmm. of the the poem, um, like Newark nineteen sixty nine in the title. Yeah, the, exactly, exactly. Hall so the poem. Linda Hall poem, right? Yeah. And so the title becomes that establishment shot that contextualizes us. Uh, we get the spatial orientation, we get a sense of time, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so the you know the the scene is 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 ready. A lot of work is done in this compressed way, yeah. which is the poem. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So it's the it's that that level of compression for context, for movement, uh, for mining the emotion. You know, all of that. You know, it, is, let's not forget that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so you know, so this is this is what we're we're looking at. I mean, we're looking at the at the poem. This so, one. so how is it affecting the cineast? Well, for for this. For for this project, um, you know, I got I, it was I was lucky. I got to spend time doing something I really enjoy, which is watching a lot of movies and thinking about them. And you know, um, the the one thing that that often happens is that um, with with the film is that you know you talk to someone about a movie, you say, well, how is that movie? And they'll tell you what it's about. And they said basically they give you the breakdown of the plot, mm. you know, of the film. Um, but the thing that I'm always sort of moved by um, is when um, the the plot, you know, that 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 you know that surface story becomes kind of um, just the setup to get to this other thing that's really trying to to wrestle with or talk about, you know. And so uh, a lot of my favorite films, I was able to sort of go in and look at them and think about that that other area 
um, that was, you know, sort of below the surface or below the plot. Like what you did with your books back in D.C. when you were commuting, in a way. Yeah, Like yeah, you, yeah. you went, sort of, returned to things that right, you knew something. Right, returning to things and thinking that, about them in a very different way yeah. than, than before. Oh, wow. Okay, so um, I'll, let me do one. I'll do, uh, do the Right Thing, which is, I think is a film most people know. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, this is from 89, Do the Right Thing. The days were a skillet on a red-hot eye of a stove, the men on the corner, the couple in their apartment, the kids playing under a fire hydrant's relief were all sitting, loving, or playing in a skillet. Heat rose off the assonance of summer language. Some called it music, others called it fire. The days were a skillet, but the nights were a match, lighting the gas. No moon appeared, only steam rising off the sidewalks from the day. Feet danced on the skillet, and smoke alarms sounded, moths, Fierce as kids at play on a summer day, burst from musty closets. People were evicted, put out like butter sliding across a skillet's face. Most of us were outside by then, swatting bees, swatting flies. We outlived the lifespan of giraffes and cheetahs made for this weather. Or we sat on our stoops, indolent but defiant, simply escaping the drama of our own lives. Even those indoors without air conditioning, we like to believe at least, escaped the heat, somehow. Mookie, to cool her fire, melted ice cubes on Tina's nipples. Radio Raheem stole ink off Robert Mitchum's knuckles. He took the heat, too, casting love and hate into digital bling. When did Soul Brother become an anachronism too hot for air-conditioned conversation? And Sal's pizzeria, bugging out bugs. Sal, why ain't no brothers up on your wall? Smiley, auguring smoke before nightfall, carried matches. The day is a skillet on a red-hot eye of a stove. Later, a cop has Radio Rahim in a chokehold. Later, we will light candles for Radio Rahim. If a man takes a baseball bat to another man's property, that's a skillet too. If a man throws a barrel through a plate glass window, others will follow. A Pyrrhic victory is a pyre of life possessions set ablaze to save lives. Catharsis is the moth's flight toward the flame, fluttering in the spotlight, or first fluttering, then finding the power to flutter, but consumed by the heat until all we know of its shimmer is how one smolders to survive. Thank you. Thank you. The day's a skillet. Well, that's some poem. Thank you. <laughs> and and so so this so you you talk about it like it's like this is a project where each of the poems then is about a different film. Yeah, and, I just sort of take the title of a film and, and kind of riff off of that. And um, you know, and some of them are like you know, tour level films, and some of them aren't. I mean, you know, I've got Westworld, you know, here, you know, old Michael Crichton, Yul Brynner film, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's um, you know, it's it's you know, it's just a uh, um, it's kind of fun. And you get, and I see exactly what you mean where you're, um, you're the cinematic guy at first yeah. and what's happening, these scenes that we're seeing yeah. from the film, yeah. but then it's going, it's giving you the entree into all these other things that you're hopefully. Yeah. With. Like, trying that's to, what, yeah. That's yeah. what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for reading these poems. You have to come back because we'll need to hear more of them. Thanks to you. I appreciate it. In 2013 yeah, <laughs> or there before. You go. There you go. <laughs>
<laughs> and so look for the cineast in April 2013. But you, you, we'll be reminding you here on Living Writers. Thanks again to Reverend Andrew for, for engineering and Nelson, wherever you are, for training with us. And most of all, to Ava and Jordan for being here. And thanks for this great conversation. Thank you. Um, you go out, run out right now, everyone. Uh, Magnolia is on the bookshelves, Quantum Lyrics, and the earlier book, Rise. Um, you've been listening to Living Writers. I thank you for listening. Uh, I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, September 6, 2012. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up at the Democratic National Convention, undocumented activists call for action on immigration. Community groups in North Carolina highlight the effect of the housing crisis on local residents. And as Democratic leaders cite education reform, we'll hear from a teacher in Chicago as the city faces the possibility of a massive strike under Mayor Rahm Emanuel. Those stories and more coming up after this news. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRM. After months of student protests in Quebec, Canada, voters have put the incumbent Liberal Party leader out of office. It was the largest voter turnout in 14 years and ended with a shooting at the winning candidate's victory party. FSRN Stephanie